0: Okay. So I've got a question for you. If I invited you over to my house, I I don't even know why I'd have to invite you to my house this. So let's just say we're sitting at the coffee shop and I'm on one side of the table and you're on the other side of the table. And I say something like this, Hey, I'm going to give you $5. Uh, I will give you five U.S. dollars right now. And uh, no, no hitch, no catch, no nothing to it. I'm just going to give you five bucks. And then I ask you, I say, hey, would you prefer to have this? And I'll give it to you however you want it. Would you prefer to have this? Your choice. Uh, One of two ways. A, I will give you five individual crisp dollar bills. Five dollar bills. One, two, three, four, five Washingtons. Or I will give it to you another way. I will give you 500 brand new, shiny, 2017, because that's when I'm recording this, 2017 Abraham Lincoln Copper Pennies. Five $1 bills or 500 pennies. And I'll give them to you all right now, loose. Five $1 bills, paper right there in your hand, or I will dump gingerly, so you can catch them, 500 copper discs which one would you take now i've asked people that before and the reality is i've still yet and i've never actually even taken out the money but but i've still never had anybody take the pennies and you wonder well why is that why wouldn't we take the pennies and so i ask you well why why wouldn't you and and here's what you would say to me is if I ask you like you you maybe you're just thinking, you're laughing right now, or you're thinking, Well, he's insane. Like, who wants to care around five hundred pennies? And I would say to you, Well, these five hundred pennies, they're worth the exact same thing as the paper. There's there's no difference. You could go to the coffee shop counter right there and buy the exact same drink or the exact same snack or the the what used to be my favorite back in the day was the apple fritter. You could go buy an apple fritter with either one or you could you you could save them and go deposit them in the bank and they they would have the same effect on your checking account. Yet you would probably want the paper. And why would you want the paper? And it comes down to this, it's easier to carry it's more useful it has the same value but the value of the one is that it's more useful than the other one now i know you think what 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 in the world why 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 are you getting into that and and here's what i'd say this is this is the visual i want you to hold on to as we go into this lesson as we go into this episode on the overflow podcast about who as we start talking about who it is that you're walking with, who it is that you're really doing life with up close and personal. And, and maybe let me make a footnote right here. By doing life, I mean these are people that you're really doing life with. Now, in our culture, like that phrase doing life with is, um, geez, let's say it this way. Church people are notorious, notorious for, that sounded so harsh. Um, That's the problem with like talking, you know, and talking into a microphone from the third floor of the attic up here is I'm not really looking at anybody's face. And so sometimes if you say something that would be offensive, you can look and like you can see in a face like starting to twerk or, you know, you can see somebody's um, eyebrow starting to kind of go, or you could see the expression grimace and, you know, like, oh, that that might have been a foul ball. But okay, so that said, I've already gotten it out there. Like church people are notorious for saying things that I'm going to put myself in that group. I go to church. I grew up in the church. I've worked in churches, right? Church people are notorious for saying things we don't mean. Like, we're doing life together. Or, um, oh, yeah, I got your back. Or, y- you see, and by doing life, I mean like people that are core. I mean people that you could call at 1 a.m. or. Or 2 a.m. I mean, somebody that you could call, like if you had an emotional breakdown, and you could just call, and you, you don't you don't need a good talking to, like you don't need somebody to explain to you that everything's going to be okay. Maybe you do, but they they would know you well enough to know if you really needed that or if you just needed somebody just to listen. Like, who could you call? Who could you call in a crisis? Um, that wouldn't judge you. That wouldn't necessarily have to have a reframe on what happened or a conversation. Do you see? And that that kind of thing, goodness, narrows the list way down. And you see, sense, and feel that that can't be a lot of people. That can't be 500 people. That could be, in your lifetime, if you're lucky, that could be five. That could be, again, not dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. That could be just a few. Now, in our culture, this whole thing of relationships, it's a little bit bit kind of jacked up because we veer towards the many and we veer towards mislabeling things uh, instead of landing on the few. And and I'm not saying you shouldn't uh, be friendly with everyone. And I'm not saying you shouldn't honor everyone. And I'm not saying that everyone that's out there in the world can't impart and grace you with something. What I am saying is that you can't B, you can't walk as brothers and sisters locking arms with everyone. You don't have enough mental time. You don't have enough mental focus. You're not sharp enough. There's not enough of you, and there's not enough of them to go around. Th- th- think think about it like this, and here's what I'm getting at. In our life, we, we often start with that conversation of, what what is it that I'm going to do when I grow up? what what is it that i want to be i mean we've been talking about that for the last couple episodes here like i've, I've even told you like that what is the first rung on the ladder like you're not going to go anywhere unless you know exactly what it is that you want to get to like defining your dream is really the first step a lot of times we'll focus on that and then then if we're taking it a step farther we'll focus on really how type of questions like how am i going to do that thing that i want to do how how sometimes how uh, starts breaking down things in terms of um if the what is to be a teacher how starts defining well do i want to teach older kids or younger kids or do i want to teach college or do i want to teach religion or do i want to teach math or do i want to teach science or do i want to teach english or do i want to teach in the country or the inner city or how is um when do i want to get married it's sometimes how takes when and where type questions or kind of subdivisions of that you know uh, I want to go to college, that's a what, how, where, uh, am I going to do this um, at the University of Alabama, or am I going to go to a private school, or am I going to go to a religious school or a secular school, or am I going to, you start filling all the blanks in, am I, am I going to get a major in college, or am I going to focus on something else, general studies, or am I going to join a fraternity or sorority or extracurricular activities, or all of those are how-related questions. A lot of times, like in the previous episode, I started talking about why and said there's got to be this inspiration. That's the third rung on the ladder. There's got to be this thing that drives you. And when you really start figuring out the thing that drives you, that pushes you forward, then you really start making some traction in life when you really get the why down. But I think that, and at the advance we teach that, there's really another one that's more important, that I think is more important than all three of these. Like, and Maybe it's not that it's more important than why, but maybe it's that it only works when you have a why, or that the why only works when you have this. And that's the question that's the topic of this episode of the Overflow Podcast, which is the question of who? Who now? Now, by the way, uh, you know it's a long intro to this. Uh, if you don't have the notes that I've been telling you about for the last couple episodes, go to let me write this down, or just look in the show notes right here on wherever you're listening to this from www.theladder.info www.theladder.info, and you can get this document, this PDF document, absolutely free. That gives you all the information that I'm talking about right here. The ladder. Info. So this who? Now, I think that this idea of who is rooted fundamentally in how we're designed, and here's why I think that. Uh, Two big reasons. First reason is this: God, who created you and me, is relational. Okay, so I grew up and I had this great teacher at some point. He said something like this. He said, instead of chasing the will of God, instead of hunting the will of God, that that was the big question back when I was growing up. Everybody wanted to know, what's the will of God? I mean, in fact, there were books out on this. You could go to any Christian bookstore. You could go to Barnes & Noble even, and you could find books on what is the will of God. That, That was our fundamental question, right, the one we started at the bottom of the ladder with. What is the will of God? And they would teach you how to find it for your life. But I had a wise teacher that said this, instead of trying to find the will of God, simply seek God. In other words, he was saying, instead of seeking the what, seek the who? Seek the relationship. And whenever you seek the relationship and you're close to God, like you're going to be so close to Him that you will find yourself right smack dab in the middle of what He has designed for you. And see, what he was getting is at this, that truth, I I believe scripturally, is foundationally located not in dogma, not in facts, not in rules, not in regulations, not even in text. Truth is related. It is found in a person. Like, Like Jesus actually said this, okay, this is just, you know, red letter in the Bible, John 14, 6, he says, I, I. I am the way, I am the... You could fill in the blank here. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. I am the way, I am the... I'm the truth. Now, now notice, Jesus says he's truth. Truth is embodied in a person, not facts and figures, okay? Truth is embodied in Christ, and Christ is actually taking you. Notice where he's taking you. Like, if, if I just had a poll and said, okay, everybody, raise your hand if you think Jesus is taking you to heaven. Raise your hand. Like, whether you're driving right now, raise your hand. Or whether you're jogging on a treadmill right now, raise your hand. Or whether you're doing household chores, you know, right now, raise your hand. Or you're rocking the baby, raise your hand. Or if you're laying in bed listen to this while you go to sleep, like one of my friends does, just kind of raise your hand right there in the bed. Raise your hand if Jesus is taking you to heaven. Or, raise your hand if Jesus is primarily taking you somewhere else. We might have all raised our hand on the heaven one, but Jesus says right here, like, no one comes to the Father except for through me. Like, God is relational. Jesus is not just taking you to a place. He's taking you to a person. He's taking you to the Father. Truth is found in a person and He's taking us to a person. Even in creation, we see God's relational. Like at creation, in Genesis chapter 1, catch this, God says, let us, emphasize there, let us make man in our, emphasis on our, let us make man in our likeness, in our image, like God is relational. There was community in the Trinity before humankind was even created. But God wasn't alone in the beginning. There was the Trinity, there was the Father, there was the Spirit, there was the Son, they were all there. And here's what's interesting. I told you a couple of episodes ago, when God reveals himself to Moses... He reveals himself, and he reveals himself in Exodus chapter 3, 6 through his family relationships. Like he doesn't just say, hey, I'm on the scene. I'm God. Here's a list of things I want you to believe about me. Number one, I'm omnipresent. I'm everywhere all the time. Number two, I'm all powerful. I can do anything that I want to do. Number three, I'm omniscient. I'm, I'm knowing. Um He doesn't say all that. He comes to him, and he reveals himself and says, get this, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. He reveals himself. Through relationships. Now, that leads me kind of to the second idea that I want to cover here. And that is this. You and I are created in God's image. Right? Genesis 1 says that let us, back to the relational idea, make man and woman in our image, in our likeness. So if God is relational, that means we're relational, And when he does this thing of redemption in our life, when he rescues us and resets things that have been fragmented and broken back in order, like he sets us into not just relationship with himself, but relationship with other people. That's part of the whole reconciliation, restoration process. In fact, that's why Psalm 68 6 says this. It says that God sets the lonely. He sets them in families. He takes us and he brings us. Ephesians 2.19 says um, that we're no longer strangers, we're no longer foreigners, we're fellow citizens with the saints, and get this. We're members of the household of God. That's how we're designed. That's how we're created. And I, I would say this isn't just a reconciliation redemption thing. Like this was rooted in creation. Um, back when Adam was created in Genesis chapter 2 that recounts the story. God looks at him in Genesis chapter 2, and Adam's there, and he brings all the animals before him. You know, two by two, you kind of get the idea right there. Kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like a replay of what's going to happen going into the ark later on, I guess. They're all there, and it says, hey, God brought them before Adam to see what he would name them, and he just started naming them. But in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found, Like there was no comparable like him. There was nothing that could walk side by side with him. And so, you know, you think about this. And I remember kind of growing up and I was like, well, this kind of like must have taken God by surprise. Like Adam's there and all of a sudden like God's just like, oh, um, I forgot something. Or, oh, uh, I guess I just completely overlooked it. This might have been an important Part of the equation, or, uh, uh, I, I guess we got an odd one out. But but it dawned on me, like I was thinking about it, and it it seems like maybe maybe God actually knew. Like, he actually knew what he was doing. If he created mankind in his image and likeness for relationship, okay, and Adam's going to have a relationship with his heavenly father, so certainly he's going to have that. But God knew that it was important for Adam to have relationships. However, I think that God probably knew that it was important for Adam to see that he was alone. So that Adam would know that he needed the relational connection. You see? You see? And so it's after seeing that everything else, literally in creation, has a suitable, comparable helper, a suitable, comparable partner, one like them, all of a sudden he sees, senses, feels like, I'm alone. And and the idea is this. Point number one, God is relational. Point number two, you're created in his image. If that's the case, that means this, that you and I are, are designed for relationships you and I are designed to walk in proximity with other people now I think that who question the relationship question it trumps all the other questions just kind of on a practical level I mean think about it like this you can be doing what you want to be doing in the greatest possible scenario of your dreams but if you are doing it with the wrong people you will be miserable Think about it. Like, I'll just give you an example. You go to Hollywood, California, people have more money, they have more fame, they have all, all of the trappings of all the things that we think we would really want. Like, if I, if I had a little bit more money, if I had a little bit bigger house, if I just had some help around the house, if I had a new car, if I had, you know, if I had a job that was, you know, if, if I had people like me, if I had, but, but yet there is the highest divorce rate where people cycle through marriage after marriage after marriage. And again, it's because the who trumps all other things. I mean, you can be doing the best case scenario for you, but if it's with the wrong person, you'll be absolutely miserable. And on the other hand, I mean, you could be shoveling a yard full of dog poop, right? You could be in a miserable environment, but if you're with the right people, if you're with the right person, like doesn't that change everything? Doesn't that Trump even the worst of all environments the worst of all situations There's a business professor a couple years ago Jim Collins he wrote this book called Good to Great and in that business book he wanted to compare like the number 2 companies with the number 1 companies um, most everybody you know compares like the best case scenario of some company that just knocks it out of the park and they compare them to the worst the one that failed the one that went bankrupt and they just start drawing and extrapolating all these lessons they can learn he wanted to do it a little bit differently he said let's pick two companies that had the same market you know and they had the same environment and they had the same opportunity and let's see like why one was good Why one succeeded, but why one, the other, just kind of shot through the roof and defied all market expectations. And here's one of the things that he found out. The good companies decided what they wanted to do. They decided what they wanted to do and how they were going to do it. They they started with those lower rungs on the ladder that we talked about in the previous episodes. He said they decided what they wanted to do, uh, how they wanted to do it, even why. They, they got the mission statement, right? They got the um, vision statement. They, they moved from the head to the hands, right? Some of them even had a value. They had a reason why they were going to do this thing. And then after that, they started trying to assemble all of the people and get them in that company. Now, he likened the company to being a bus. And he said after they had really defined the bus and kind of set out where's the bus going to go and kind of the arrangement of the seats in the bus and all of that, okay, so that's kind of the analogy right there, then they started to get the right people on the bus, and it didn't always work. It didn't always gel. He did say this then, that the great companies... The ones that excelled did it just the opposite. They got the right people there first. They realized that the people were more important than the dream. The people were more important than the bus itself. And once you got the right people on the bus, once you started with the who, to use the term, you started with the who rather than the what all of the sudden, all of the right people started making all of the right decisions. They got in the right seats on the bus. You didn't need a hierarchical organizational chart because those right people would figure it out. They would defer to people's gifts and skills and abilities. They would figure out the most efficient way, the how of doing things. They would articulate what they were doing in very clear, concise language. They would even get a defining why, a reason that somehow resonated with all of them, and it would begin driving the thing forward you see his idea was that we so often get enamored with the what or we even get like intoxicated with the implementation strategy with the how or or once we get this why like we think oh this is it i'm so inspired but you've got to get the right people there or it's not going to go very far now here's here's the reality A lot of times, you and I, we we want to bypass the who and we want to get our thing defined. We want to get our implementation strategy kind of articulated. We want to even kind of figure out here's why we're doing it. Here's like you and I want to do that and we want to bypass the people because once you insert people into the equation, like things can get infinitely more complex, right? In fact, at the at the advance, I actually use this analogy. I I actually use a rubber band, and I show you that like once you get people, like there's this tension. Okay, so just imagine right now, like just if you got a rubber band, like put it around one the index finger on one hand and the index finger on the other hand, and just pull it apart. Okay, and just imagine that one finger is one person and the other is another person, and and as you kind of pull, like if one person's trying to pull one way, um, goodness, it creates tension until the other one comes along, right? Or if the other person. tries to pull the other way. It creates tension until the other one comes along, right? And like when there's relationships, like there is this tension that's there. And you get the idea that we could do things faster or, okay, all you individualists out there, I could do things faster if I was doing it by myself or if I didn't have to answer to anyone. And that's true, but you couldn't go that far with it. And it's the tension of those relationships that often pulls us, yeah, a little bit off track of what we would want to do because we don't have all the answers, right? We have a limited tunnel vision, but those other people pull us into other areas and they pull us into the best possible future. Like we don't end up making all the decisions of where we go on our own. No, I know, that just kind of might have knocked the wind out of some of the cells of some of you that were kind of thinking, yeah, we, we just kind of aim at this thing and we hit it. Like, we just push for it every time. And we just, we just plow people over if we got to get to it. No, 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 no. Like, you work through the tension of healthy relationships. Because when you have those relationships, like, those pull you into a better possible you. Now think about that. Um, If you're leading somebody, too much tension on the rubber band. Like if you try to lead them too fast, too far, like it just breaks. You can lose the relationship. And a lot of people do that. They say, hey, I'm pursuing this business goal at all expense. I don't care what you think. Or like guys do that all the time. Like That's when they'll put in 60 and 80-hour work weeks, right? Or sometimes you'll say, I'm pursuing this health goal, and I don't care what it does to my family. Break, Or I'm pursuing this dream, this goal, and it strains the relationships. Whereas if you let people catch up, they could pull you into some better parts and still pursue your dream with the added beauty and the added glory of their things happening too and them calling the best out in you. Uh, let me show you kind of what I'm talking about. The, the four-minute mile is a great example. Back in the 1950s, um, people actually thought that it was scientifically impossible for a human being to break the four-minute mile. You couldn't do it. You couldn't run that until there was this date, May 6, 1954. Roger Bannister, he actually ran the sub-four-minute mile in Oxford, England. He ran this in like 3 minutes, 59 seconds, 0. .4. Like he had 0. .6 seconds to spare. Okay, remember... Just a few years previous, it was impossible. Then one guy does it in 1954 in May. The next month, two more people do it. The next year, 300 do it. What happened? The who happened? Somebody pulled with that tension. They pulled them into a better version of what they could be. I remember we did this leadership exercise. One time I was in a leadership seminar in a workshop. We actually do this at the advanced now. And at this one workshop, I didn't come up with this. I actually participated in a workshop where another leader did this. What he did was he had all of us. We were on different tables with six and eight people. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys all at that table to make a paper airplane. And so we had a piece of paper there, and we all started getting it out and make a paper airplane. We had like 30 seconds to do this. And so some people were folding really neatly. Some people, it was amazing how many people had no clue how to make a paper airplane. But we all did it. We all did what he said next, which was line up on one side of the room. And he said, all right, everybody throw your airplane. We all did. And some of them went backwards. Some of them took a quick nosedive and went about two or three feet forwards and then just, boom, hit the ground. One or two of them lofted and went well across the room and just kind of soared like you would envision a paper airplane to do. Now, here's what he said to do next. He said, okay, all of you go back to your table, but the person at the table whose plane went the farthest in 30 seconds, I want you to show everybody else on the table how to make a paper airplane. We did. And then 30 seconds later, we lined up back on the the same starting line. And this time, everybody threw the plane. And here's what happened. Every single plane went farther. And some people actually outperformed their leader. You say, "Well, well, what happened? Well, what happened was simply having a person there somehow pulled the best out of the other people. You see, and this happens in every single area of life. Now, leadership guru John Maxwell, he actually recently had this study, he took a survey at one of his leadership conferences, and he asked the attenders there, he said, well, why, why did you become a leader? This was business leaders, this was church leaders, this was nonprofit sector leaders. Why did you become a leader? Here, here were the results. 10% of people arose to their position as a result of just natural talent natural ability. 10%, just 10% found their way into it on their own. 5% were tossed into the position. They were thrust into the position, like maybe they were the number two or number three person uh, in an organization and crisis hit and they stepped up and filled in the gap. So 10% um, just found their way. 5%, they were thrown into it when an accident or crisis happened. Get this, 85% became leaders because of another leader who believed in them and with that tension of like the rubber band pulled them forwards and says, you can do this. I believe in you. I see something in you that you may not even see yourself. Like you may be comfortable here or you may even think that here is the best possible thing for you. Like you may really, really believe it, but I see, I sense, I feel that there's more. And they pulled it out of that person. Now think about that. That that means like, uh, maybe in your world, like in, in our world, we have a we have a home based business. That means if we need more leaders, it may be that ten percent of them will just rise up, right? Ten percent, but it may be clearly eighty five percent of them, like eight and a half out of ten of them, need us just to reach deep into that organization and say, "Hey, I see something in you." that you may not see for yourself. Like your dream might have been X, but I'm thinking that your dream could be Y or Z or something even greater than anything that either of us see. Now, now think about that. The power of relationships. Because my guess is that if you look back at your own life, every defining moment, every time that there was a fork in the road and it went really, really good for you after that, or it went really really bad for you either way like e- either way no value judgment on it every single fork is probably more focused on a who than a what it's probably more landed on a who than even a how it's probably more landed on a who than even a why like, for instance, if, if you achieve something great when you were in high school, you could probably look back and go, man, there was a teacher or there was a teammate or there was someone in my class who called something great out of me. If you look and saw, hey, as an adult, like I stumbled into this business opportunity and it just exploded, there was probably somebody even somebody like there was a teacher or a leader that called forth that thing and awakened that thing that was in you. If you have an online platform and you're teaching and you're writing and you're organizing and training, like it, it probably wasn't just an idea. Like Somebody somewhere in the past, and it may have even been several somebodies that just kept affirming and reaffirming and calling forth that thing that's inside of you. That thing that's become the what, that you've now taken from an idea to implement in some way, like somebody probably called that forth. And you see, when you and I limit and avoid deep relationships, and when we chase you know, hundreds of pennies and hundreds of likes and hundreds of followers instead of deep, And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of followers learning from what you're doing. I mean, goodness, as you have a platform and you're more successful, you're going to have more and more people. But you can't do that at the expense of the deep relationships. When you avoid those deep relationships, you and I limit what we can really do. There's a great story in the Old Testament. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. You, you know it. The people there in Genesis chapter 11, they, they're they looking around and they think, hey, let's, let's build something great. Let's make a name for ourselves. And they start building this monument up to the heavens. Now, it's ironic because they're building up, 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 trying to go higher and higher and higher. And then it says that God looks down <laughs> And then he decides to come down among them and confuse. Like they're trying to go up and he has to come down. But in Genesis eleven six, 6, here, here's what he says. He says, they're one people. They all have one language. In other words, he says they're unified. They speak the same thing. They're in agreement. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. You see what's going on? They're they're unified, they're speaking, they're saying the same thing, and because they're unified, like it's a spiritual principle that's so strong that it works anywhere for anything. It doesn't even have to be a spiritual thing that when you're unified, like business can work. When you're unified, athleticism can work. When you're unified, building a tower of babel, a monument to yourselves can work. And when you're unified, doing the greatest work of delivering hope to humanity can work too. God says nothing is impossible for those who are unified. In in fact, there's this great verse in Psalms 133. It's just David. He says, "How, how blessed is it for those to dwell in unity? How how blessed is it for brothers to dwell in unity? And, and then he says this. This is a great phrase. He says, It is like precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Now, he's kicking back to how they anointed the priest in the book of Leviticus. And when they anointed the priest, they believed that the Holy Spirit's power and person just rushed on that person and it just empowered them to do the great things that they were going to do to lead people to love people to hear the voice of God and to call out hope and restoration to humanity and here's what David is saying he says when people are walking in oneness when they're walking together like they did the Tower of Babel when they're walking in that tension that creative tension of, of just pulling forth the best and greatness out of each other it is like an anointing of the Holy Spirit to do the great work that they're called to do. That That's why I think that in John 17, 11, like Jesus's prayer, his final prayer was, uh, Lord, um, Father, Make them one. In the same way that you and I are one, where there's perfect alignment. In the Trinity, like we, like we saw this in creation, like God was one at creation. Let us make man in our own image. Okay, In the same way that God is one, Jesus is saying, make them, make these followers one. Do, do you see? Like it is this principle of greatness that when you walk in it, it is electric and everything just works. When I was in college, I took this class. It was a business class where um, I read some of these books. And one of them was The Fifth Discipline by Peter Singe. And he's, he's quoting back to Bill Walton who was a, a famous basketball player. Played with Larry Bird on the Celtics back in the era when it was always the Celtics versus the Lakers. You know, kind of back in that time, back when I was growing up. And, and Bill Walton says this. Now, now get this. Because this walking with the who doesn't mean you give up your individuality. It means like that there's this, here's the big word I use at the advance, there's this interdependence. Like we've moved from the idea with the what to the implementation with the how. We've moved up the ladder to the inspiration with the who, to this idea of the interdependence with the who. Interdependence, like we walk and lock arms together. Bill Walton says this, by design and by talent. We were a team of specialists. Okay, so they're individuals. By design, by talent, we were a team of specialists. And like a team of specialists in any field, our performance depended both on individual excellence and on how well we worked together. None of us had to strain to understand that we had to complement each other's strategies. It was simply a fact, and so we tried to figure out ways to make our combination more effective. Every so often, a Celtic game It would heat up so that it became more than a physical or even a mental game and would be magic. When it happened, I could feel my play rise to a whole new level. It would surround not only me and the other Celtics, but also the players on the other team and even the referees. You see, like when we walk in this oneness, when we figure out who it is that we're walking with, because you can't walk with everybody. Like, like you can honor everybody, you can love everybody. you can be sincere and kind to everyone. you can see the greatness in everyone. you can see the beauty and glory in all of humanity. but you can't walk with everyone and when you walk in this oneness like it just elevates things to a whole new level. I guess that leads me kind of back to the pennies. Like you've got to realize that if we're looking at the bus analogy, which is what Jim Collins did with his his companies, you gotta remember that the bus, it's not it's not a series of buses, like a train of buses, like where there's bus after bus after bus after bus after bus. It's not even a full size school bus, it's a short little bus with just a handful of people. And this is hard because in our culture, we tend to mislabel relationships and we tend to mislabel who people are. Like we have this label for friends now that just includes anybody that's an acquaintance. And I think because of that, we find people who are really true friends who are who are deep friends. like like the Bible defines friends as um, proverbs twenty seven seventeen, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Like friends are the people that will walk through that tension with you. Like acquaintances, just tension, boom, gone. Um, uh, Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like a friend will tell you what you need to hear, not, not just what you want to hear. Um, Proverbs eighteen twenty-four says, a, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Like there's this depth. To friendship, um, and even Jesus said, "No longer do I call you servants, I, I because servants don't know what the master is doing. I call you friends for the things I have heard from my Father. Like I have revealed those deep truths to you. Like friends, there's this depth. It's not just likes and shares and posts and follows. Like it is a deepness." a richness and I think we sense that and we sense that we've diluted what a real friend is and so because we're using the term friend for acquaintances now we call friends family but that's not that's not it right you can't carry you can't carry five hundred pennies you can't carry five hundred pennies you can carry five one dollar bills maybe you can carry more than that but there's this idea that riding the bus requires intimacy. It requires connection. It requires being able to smell what's not going on right with other people. It, it requires being able to be hurt by other people. It requires tough conversations. It requires being being transparent. Here's, here's the beautiful thing of it, and, and I don't... I don't have an answer for you. Like like maybe what I've done in this episode is open up more questions for you or kind of flesh it out more so than anything else is, is here's what I'm learning is the greatest what's the greatest dreams. Because when you start walking with people, you start thinking, well, if I choose the relationships, I'm going to be giving up my dream. Like I'm going to be giving up because if you're saying the who is more important than the what, which is more important than the how, which is more important than the why, that means that I'm necessarily going to have to give up some things in order to gain the people. And, and you might. But here's, here's what I'm learning is that the greatest what, the greatest dreams only come into play after the right who is there. Um, here's, here's what I mean. Like, I, I never plan to write books. I, I never plan to talk online like I'm doing right now. I never planned to teach online classes, videos, and those sorts of things. That happened after I walked in relationship with my wife and got on board with the business that she was doing. And as I did that, I started learning some new skills, and I learned some ways to implement some things that I knew and implement some truths that I knew from a long, long time ago. And I started using that as a natural way to grow our business and as a natural way to really carry forth with my uh, one of my whys, Which was to impart the love and power of our Heavenly Father to others. That happened after I walked with with the who. Um, I, I never really planned um, with her uh, to teach online, but it, it was after walking with her in that, that, and th- this is interesting, like this is kind of a subpoint of that previous one, that we started having other business leaders that were wanting some information from us, who started inviting us to do that for them. And as we walked in relationship with film, that what really kind of manifests that came to fruition. I, I never planned to do the advanced men's workshops. That happened. Les never planned that. very never planned that. That happened as we walked in that relationship. Here's what I'm saying is probably the greatest question that we've discussed so far is not what are you going to do, not how are you going to do it, not why are you going to do this, but who. Who are you walking with? With that, I know that some of you listening are alone. Uh, I, I know that you look around and you think, well, um, right now I don't I don't have a who in fact, Last year at the men's advance in Seattle, I sensed that. I I sensed it the time before we here in Atlanta, and I just chickened out on asking if there were guys. I I told them beforehand, hey, here's what I'm going to do, because I didn't want them to stand up and not know what they were standing out for. I said, I'm going to ask you if you don't have – A group of guys. If you don't have a handful of people that you can confide in, that call out the greatness in you, I I want you to um, stand up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you borrow some brothers for five, six months, just until the next event. You guys can figure out what it looks like. You can talk on the phone once a week. You can talk once a month. You can chat via private messenger. You can meet up if you want to. It's up to you. But maybe. This will teach you how to find other relationships. Or, or who knows, like maybe these will just be divinely orchestrated and they'll just work. And so I, th- I thought maybe one or two guys would stand up and maybe three or four did. And then I asked other guys in the room to stand up around them and to partner with them if they would agree to be those brothers for the next six months or so. And once other guys saw that it was safe, and they saw that people were, were actually volunteering to do it, and were actually stepping up to be the, be the brothers of these people, um, more guys stood up, more guys um, said, said, count me in. And so I sense that probably, you know, if you're listening right now, that might be where some of you may be. And so as I sign off, my prayer is that the Lord blesses you, the Lord keeps you, the Lord is gracious to you that He makes His face of favor shine upon you, that you see that the greatest question is not what are you going to do. He has some incredible things for you to do and He has an incredible how, an amazing strategy for you to implement it and even to do it, even to redeem the years the locusts have taken away and allow you to implement it faster, more fully. There's a great why, there's a great reason inside of you, but I know I know that He's not designed you to do it alone. And so my prayer is that you are going to see the people that are near you, and He's going to move those people close to you. And where the relationships need to be restored, that He's going to restore them. Where there are new ones that need to be invited into your circle, invited onto your bus, that you're going to know to do that. Where there are people that need to be graciously let off of your bus, even that you're going to know even how to honorably see the glory and beauty in them, but know that they're not that inner circle for you. And that as you get the right people on, that you're going to be able to move forward faster, more fully alive and more fully engaged in the dreams that He's placed inside of you. Grace, peace, and until the next time I talk to you, Shalom.